Uh, our scripture reading for today is going to be in Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Uh, so if you want to open up your Bibles there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, we have some at the ends of the pews that you can use. Uh, and if you don't own a Bible, uh, feel free to take that home with you as a gift from us. Uh, so it's Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, if you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Hey, let's just clap it up. Uh, way to go, church. That is just awesome, uh, the foster, the family stuff, and everything going on with vulnerable children. Just so cool. Um, a couple quick announcements before we uh, jump in, some fun things to share. Uh, first, just a reminder about uh, kids' ministry check-ins. So if you've got a, a child who is below elementary age, uh, you can check them in uh, at the beginning of service at 950 at 9.50, at 9.50 when you get here, uh, go ahead and check them in. Uh, anyone, crawlers, walkers, or pre-K, uh, you can check them in downstairs if you would like to. You can keep them in here for the f first part of worship as well if you'd like as well. So, uh, Also, uh, one other thing to keep an eye out for if you've got kiddos, uh, we've got an Advent uh, discipleship packet coming out next week. So uh, we'll have a whole slew of those packets to help you through the Advent season uh, disciple and engage uh, with uh, Jesus uh, through the Christmas season. So uh, you can pick those up next week and the following uh, week. Uh, we also have a couple of fun staff announcements all this week. Uh, here's what happened. Uh, Willis got engaged to Susanna. Woo! That's pretty fun. Uh, Got a call last night when that happened. That's a blast. And then also, uh, Brandon and Talani had a little son, Johan Thomas Smith. Yeah, so that's pretty fun. Pretty fun stuff. Uh, God's on the move with a lot of blessing there. So praise God uh, for what he's doing uh, in the staff and the lives of, of our staff. Uh, go ahead and turn to the person next to you and share, uh, what's the best movie you've ever seen? What's the best movie you've ever seen? I know it's hotly debated, and most conversations end right here. What's the best movie you've ever seen? So go ahead and share with the person next to you. What's your favorite movie? What's the best movie you've ever seen?
uh, for sure, without a doubt, the best movie I've ever seen, and I saw it again on Friday night with my son, is Shawshank Redemption. Who had it? Who had it? Yeah, you guys are correct. You're correct. Pastor says it. Uh, Shawshank Redemption. Uh, I'm going to ruin a part of this movie, so if you haven't seen I'm not going to ruin the whole movie, don't worry, but I'm going to ruin part of it. Uh, Andy, a banker, uh, gets falsely accused and then um, is in jail for a murder he didn't commit, uh, his wife and uh, her mate, uh, lover, and uh, is in jail at Shawshank Correction Facility. And and so Andy goes to jail, he's uh, there for two life sentences, and uh, there he meets a couple of folks who become his friends. Uh, Red, who is Morgan Freeman, I mean he's awesome in the movie. Uh, and Brooks, uh, this older guy who's been in there since 1905, it's around 1950 now, he's spent pretty much his whole life in prison. Uh, Brooks is the prison librarian, so uh, old Brooks makes his way from cell to cell most nights and he asks inmates, uh, do you want a book, do you want a book? And he's, he's super kind, he's aging, and uh, this has become his home, this prison. And he hands out these books. He's got this little, uh, this little crow that he found in the prison yard. He calls him Jake. Uh, and he, he feeds him until uh, when he grows up. And, and Jake's this big raven uh, in uh, the library. And then it comes to pass that, uh, that Brooks makes parole. He, he's he's going to be released from prison. And so he's been in there 50-some, 60 years since 1905 and in the 1950s. And... And it's now become the only life he really knows. And so he he kind of uh, fakes this attack on a friend of his that they might even keep him in prison. Uh, But then they do release him. They they let him out of jail in Shawshank. and, And the gates open and he goes into the world to be free. And he writes back to his friends, to Red Morgan Freeman and to... Andy and the others, dear fellas, I can't believe how fast things move on the outside. I saw an automobile once when I was a kid, but now they're everywhere. The world went and got itself in a big hurry. The parole board got me into this halfway house called the Brewer and a job bagging groceries at the foodway. It's hard work and I try to keep up, but my hands hurt most of the time. I don't think the store manager likes me very much. Sometimes after work I go to the park and feed the birds. I keep hoping Jake might just show up and say hello, but he never does. I hope wherever he is, he's doing okay and making new friends. I have trouble sleeping at night. I have bad dreams like I'm falling. I wake up scared and sometimes it takes me a while to remember where I am. Maybe I should go get me a gun and rob the foodway and so they'd send me home to prison. I could shoot the manager while I was at it and sort of like a bonus. (laughs) I guess I'm too old for that sort of nonsense anymore, uh, but I don't like it here. I'm tired of being afraid all the time. I've decided not to stay. I doubt they'll kick up any fuss, not for an old crook like me. Brooks. He takes his life after writing that letter. He he didn't know how to live outside of prison. 
Uh, Morgan Freeman, when he is uh, reflecting on the incident of Brooks' life, he, uh, they're all kind of sitting out in the prison yard, and Morgan Freeman is talking to An- Andy and says, you know what happened to Brooks? He got institutionalized. And he says this phrase, and I think it's fitting for Brooks and many of us who are stuck, not free. He says, at first you come into this place and you hate the walls, but then you get used to the walls, and you end up depending on the walls. Being stuck in this prison just had become normal life, not to be free. I want us to take a moment just to pray before this sermon and come before our God, because many of us are stuck. We're not free. We're stuck in our shame or our guilt or our legalism, trying to make ourselves better. Uh, We're stuck not enjoying the freedom that our Savior has purchased for us. The joy, the life, the salvation that He's given us today, we've just come to be accustomed to the walls. So let's bow before. If you'd like to kneel, you can. And let's talk to our God for a moment silently. Come before Him and ask Him to meet you in this sermon by His purposes that His Spirit will work in your mind and your heart and your life to free you from addiction, from shame, from chasing things that lead to joylessness or living a self-righteous life that leads to judgment and a lack of joy. Ask Him to meet you in His Word by the power of His Spirit today. Father, would You free us? For freedom Christ has set us free. Would You free us? God, speak to each one of us this morning in a way that we might know Your Son more deeply. We'd see Him more clearly. We'd realize what He's done in a new way, that that we would be freed to a new uh, life of just joyful living in obedience, a freedom from guilt, a freedom from shame, a freedom to live the life You've called us to live in the free gift of Your Son. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning I want to look at the audacity of Christian freedom and then talk about the reality of religious and irreligious bondage and kind of end by uh, talking about how do we live into this freedom and enjoy the freedom Christ has given us. Of the audacity of Christian freedom, of the reality of religious and irreligious bondage, and then finally how to live into the freedom that Christ has given us. All right, the audacity of Christian freedom. This is uh, verse 1 of chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. 
Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Freedom from what? Freedom from sin, death, the curse of the law, that, that the law looks at us and says, you are not perfect. When we look at the holiness of God, His standard He sets, uh, we realize, uh, I'm not perfect. What I'm deserving of in my rebellion and my sinfulness is death. I can try and work my way up the rest of my life. I can climb the ladder, stack on a whole bunch of good deeds, try and say, what would Jesus do and try and do it? But I'll never be good enough. I know it when I'm honest with myself. So so do you feel the bondage in that? God says, be perfect. And we say, I can't. We're freed from the law, it's condemnation, sin and death, the wage we pay, which is death. We're, we're freed from the systems of trying to attain our own perfection by our own effort and hard work and striving. And then we're free to live and enjoy life the way it has been created to live and enjoy We are free for freedom. Christ has set us free. How did He do this? His complete payment and our lack of contribution. His complete payment and our lack of contribution to it means we are absolutely free. Uh, See, His complete payment, we've talked about this week after week, is He walked all the way to the cross perfectly the whole way. Every standard of perfection that God the Father set, the Son walked into. He's absolutely perfect. He never thought a sinful thought. He never did a sinful thing. He was loving. He gave of Himself for everyone else. And He does it all the way to the cross. His absolute obedience all the way. And then He hangs on a cross to pay the penalty, the wage for your sin and my sin. And then He resurrects to newness of life to say, welcome in as a son or a daughter to give us life with the living God. So His contribution, His perfect life, His substitutionary death, and then His resurrection to to raise us to newness of life. His contribution. His payment. What did we give to that? Nothing but our own sinfulness. (laughs) The wage to be paid. That's what we gave to that process. Which means, you know, if we didn't uh, give anything to the process, we didn't earn the process, we don't need to work in order to keep us. Uh, what, what, what we didn't earn, what we, uh, what we didn't earn, we cannot lose. That's what I wanted to say. What we didn't earn, what we didn't earn, we cannot lose. He gifted it to us freely. He gifted it to us when we had nothing to offer Him. His love for us is that great. His complete payment, our lack of contribution. Uh, So here's what we do as Christians then in our freedom. uh, There's that phrase in this passage, circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, nothing, right, in Christ. Because we as Christians, we stand by the side and we say, it's just by faith I receive who Jesus is and what he's done. I I just with open arms and in prayer say, I receive what you, your payment as my own. I didn't contribute anything to it. Absolutely free that gift is. Why are we free? Because we don't owe anything anymore. We don't owe anything anymore. His righteousness, His blamelessness, His purity is gifted to us when we just receive it. The payment for our sin, for our rebellion, for the things we think, the things we do and don't do, 
it's been made. And we simply receive it. We just keep pointing to Jesus and saying, this is why I'm a loved son. This is why I'm a loved daughter. This is why I'm blameless. He is why I'm pure. I've received what he has done. And then Paul says, so keep standing firm in that. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. See, there's uh, two systems at play here we've been talking about through the whole letter. One is this yoke of slavery, the law's way, which says earn your way to God, earn your way to please others. You have to uh, stack on to Jesus things like circumcision or attendance at worship or, or keeping this feast. You have to do these things in order to be pleasing to God and pleasing to others. The yoke of slavery. That's the whole Old Testament. Uh, Jews would talk about uh, the Old Testament in this kind of way. Take the yoke of the law upon you. And then Jesus comes in Matthew 11 and says, no, no, no. Take my yoke upon you. Take my gift upon you. I have paid for you fully. Two systems at play here. We, either we are saved and sanctified by grace or we earn our way to God and earn our way into relationship with others. He gets really personal when he talks about these two systems. He says, it, he says, look, look, keep holding on to the audacity of the grace of God, not this other system of earning your way to God and to others. He says, look, he says to him, uh, these are uh, men and women and kids he knows, he says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, if you add on, try and uh, make yourself good enough for God or others, Christ will be of no advantage of you. He'll be no advantage to you. And then you'll be obligated to keep the whole law as well to make yourself righteous if you're going to live by that system. And then he says, you've actually severed yourself from Christ. You who would be justified or made right by the law in your own effort and earning, you've fallen away from grace. He says, that's one system. Don't do it uh, because Christ will be no advantage of to you. Uh, you'll have to keep the whole law if you're going to attain righteousness by your own efforts. And you're actually severed from grace. You, you're trying to live by this legalistic system. He goes on with another personal statement in the next paragraph. You were running so well. You were clinging to Jesus alone. You realized you were loved because of Christ, not because of yourself. Man, you were running well. But then a little leaven, it's getting into the whole lump. He says, oh, but I trust God. Look, he's going he's gonna to get you and he'll, he'll draw you back in. And, and for that one who's troubling you, man, he's going to bear that penalty, whoever he is. Right? He's gonna, talking, he's saying, don't, man, don't go that way. He says, if I was still preaching that you, you're made right by circumcision and things you do or take on for yourself, that, then the whole offense of the cross would be done away with. The offense, the audacity of the cross, grace given freely would be done away with if I said you have to do this or that. You have to attend church to be pleasing to each other and to God. You, you have to serve in this way. You have to share in that way in order to be pleasing to God and pleasing to others. And then, man, he sticks it to him. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. I. He says, don't stop at circumcision. Go the whole way. I mean, that's, that's the, in the Bible. <laughs> that's the only reason I said it. <laughs> Paul is not happy. 
Because he realizes it's so easy to slip back into slavery, into bondage, being uh, captive to this, this idea that, oh, Jesus loves me. I'm freely saved by his grace. And then, man, but I've got to make myself better. And when, I'm, when I do good, I, man, I'm, I'm so happy. Me and Jesus are so good together. And when I do bad, oh, I'm so sad in the guilt just just shackles me and then i beat myself up about it for a couple days and then i get back into the real okay fine god still loves me people still love me i'm accepted because in a sense we're we're going through that cycle of just earning our way to god and to others that's not the audacity of christian freedom that we have in christ here's the audacity i want to illustrate it in a couple ways the the first uh, the first is this uh, i I studied at Dallas Theological Seminary. It was a, gr- a great seminary, and, and I, I showed up there, you know, all ready to become a pastor. And so I get into my first uh, systematic theology 101, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to crush this. You know, I, I love to write. I love to read. And so uh, the pr- professor says, all right, here's your essay. We, uh, it's the first essay I'm going to write. So I'm writing this essay on the grace of God, and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm crushing this thing, right? I'm working hard at it. And then, uh, you know, I... I, I read it. The, uh, I read my friends the, the night before because you know, we kind of swapped essays, read them, sent, gave each other feedback, and I'm like, mine's better than his, you know. And uh, it's on the grace of God, mind you. And I'm writing, and um, and so you know, I take my essay in. Uh, we're sitting in class, professors up front. Everybody's got their essays out, and I'm like, gonna hand this sucker in. Gonna get my first good grade at seminary, and so. Uh, Uh, He goes, "Uh, hey, uh, you all can keep your essays. Everyone gets an A. What? What do you mean everyone gets an A? I just wrote this. Like the guy over there doesn't even have an essay. He gets an A too? Everybody gets an A. Uh, the analogy would be even better, more uh, Christ-like if, if the professor said, I wrote the professor saying this, I wrote the most amazing essay, and my essay counts as your essay. That would be even better for the illustration. He didn't say that. <laughs> but right, uh, what I have done is in place of what you have done, or not done, or done absolutely uh, against everything I ever desired. Everyone gets an A. And what about the thief on the cross? In Luke chapter 23, listen to the audacity of grace. Luke 23, Jesus is being hung on the cross in our place. He's lived a perfect life in our place. He's dying in our place to forgive us, to welcome us in as sons and daughters. And two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, they were crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even in that moment, he's crying out for forgiveness for us, for them. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one... The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also this inscription put over him, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals, 
who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Which is exactly what he's doing. But the other rebuked him, saying, Don't, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to this criminal, this thief, he said, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. A swap, one for one, a substitute. Jesus in the criminal's place, taking his penalty, welcoming him in as a son. And we say, man, that is awesome. Unless his crimes, that criminal, were against us and our own family. If he had stolen from you, we'd say, or if he had abused you, or if, if, if his crimes were against you, we'd say, no way should grace be that free. How about the workers in Matthew chapter 20? I love this parable. Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven, it's like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, that's just a day's wage of pay, he sent them into the vineyard. That's early in the morning, about 6 a.m., right? And going out about the third hour, that's 9 a.m., he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them also, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give to you. So they went, and going out again about the sixth hour, that's noon, And the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m., the owner did the same. And about the 11th hour, that's 5 p.m., that's pretty much the end of the workday, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, Go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those who hired about the 11th hour came, each of them also received a denarius. That's a full day's wage. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them an equal pay to us who've borne the burden of the day and scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I chose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The grace of God has nothing to do with your work. Your circumcision, your uncircumcision, this or that. God pours His generosity on us in Christ. A free gift. It didn't have to do even with the amount of work that these folks put in. He pours His grace on them. I love the very next passage is Jesus talking about His death for a third time. He says, I'm going to go and I'm going to die. I'm going to pay the wage for you. I'm going to go and do the work you have not done. I'm going to go and give everything. I'm going to make complete payment. You contribute nothing. 
the audacity of Christian freedom, and until that sinks in the free gift of Christ, we will never experience the freedom that we have in Christ. When you sin and you feel guilty about it, or your apathy and you feel guilty about your apathy, that's when we look again by faith to the cross and say, it's finished. He paid for my sin. I'm blameless and pure. I'm received as a child of God. I'm welcomed in to be transformed into the freedom that He's already freely given me. When you are angry, and you just realize, man, that anger for your, your kids, that's not right, what, you, the, what you're thinking and feeling. Uh, and you're going to feel guilty about it. And then you dig deep into the deeper layers of why you're feeling these kinds of things. And you say, oh my gosh, I am the worst of the worst. Or, or you're an employee and you realize, man, I am not working the way I ought to. Or I, I'm not working with excellence. Or, or I am working with all I've got. I deserve more than them. We're, we're stuck in our sin. Uh, and then we realize that over and over, what we need to say is, I am freely forgiven by Jesus himself, welcomed as a son, welcomed as a daughter. There's good news of a great Savior. I'm his family. When we get to the gates of heaven and he says, why, why you come in? We, we don't say, I've been trying my best all the time. I'm trying to be loving and tolerant. I go to church. I'm kind. Oh, way back when I received Jesus, these, these are, let me in. No, we just point, we say, because of your son, because of the work he did in his life, his death, and his resurrection, I'm received as a son or daughter. When you kind of start, when I get, get, get a grasp of the freedom of his grace, well, you'll know it because you'll, you'll, you'll say something like this. You'll say, well, wait a second, wait a second. So if I keep sinning, Grace keeps increasing, right? Like if it has nothing to do with what I do or don't do to be received as a son or a daughter of the living God, if I, if I keep sinning, then, then his grace just keeps increasing, right? Like then maybe I'll just go on sinning then, right? It, that's when you know you're starting to grasp the grace of God, <laughs> Uh, there's this great passage in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, right? Like in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Paul has spent chapters 1 to 3 explaining how absolutely unable we are to keep God's standards and, and holiness. He says, every one of you, me, absolutely sinful, can't do a single thing to live up to God and be acceptable to Him and others. And he hammers it in for three chapters. And then in chapter 4 and chapter 5, he hammers in the free grace of Jesus and, and how Jesus has taken our place, paid the wage, and given us his righteousness, risen to newness of life to make us sons and daughters all by grace. And then in chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says that little phrase. He says, well, should I just go on sinning then? If, if grace is going to abound... But that's when you're starting to get it. It's that free. And then Paul says, by no means, that doesn't even make sense. Because <laughs> when you receive uh, the grace of God, when you realize how much you are loved by Christ, what he's done for you, what you say is, take all of me. Take all of me. The audacity of Christian freedom. 
the reality of religious and irreligious bondage. Uh, here's what's happening here. These, these people and we ourselves find us uh, still in bondage so often. Uh, Paul is going to say in verse 1, uh, listen to the, the way he says it. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He says, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. See, uh, these folks were in bondage before they uh, came into Christ and now are in uh, trouble of being in bondage again by a new legalism, right? So they, they were in bondage by their licentiousness or their irreligious living without Jesus, without the law, without circumcision, all this kind of stuff. They were in bondage before living for themselves irreligiously. And now they've come in, they, they said, I received Christ, the grace of God. And, and then he says, don't be put in bondage again by this new legalism or religious way towards bondage. Don't be put in bondage again. We know he's not saying don't be circumcised again in bondage because that can't happen. You were in bondage before Christ, now don't place yourself in bondage now again after in this new legalistic way. Or then he says in verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Like uh, circumcision, the religious way of finding yourself in bondage, or uncircumcision, this idea of uh, not even trying according to the law, the irreligious way of finding yourself in bondage. So first, the religious bondage, and how does that occur? Uh, it, it happens this way. Jesus plus something of my own moral earning leads to life. If I add this to Jesus and the grace I've been given, then uh, I find myself pleasing to God and pleasing to others. We, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. I, I want to talk uh, mostly about how does this enslave us. Uh, the first is uh, we, we say, I can never do enough. I can never do enough. That's the first way this enslaves us. Uh, we know who we are, we know the things we think, we maybe even know something from our past, so we have this mantra in our heads that says, you're guilty, you're guilty. We keep judging ourselves, and we never feel like we've done quite enough. You, you attend church, but have you attended enough? You serve, but have you served well enough? You share, but do you share enough? You miss that one opportunity. Man, God must be so displeased with me. And others are so displeased with me. That it's never enough. We judge ourselves. We're trapped in our guilt, our shame, and our, and our effort to do enough. Uh, the next way it enslaves us is, is we say, well, I, I am enough. <laughs> I have done enough. And actually that saps the, the joy and the life and the freedom of living for God uh, freely uh, because we find ourselves uh, judging others around us. And, and the, the joy and the dryness of Christian living uh, comes in because we're not free. We, we said, I actually am self-righteous. I, 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 now I'll judge you. And we put e each other into bondage and enslave with our new laws. And then lastly, religious freedom places us in enslavement because, well, just the law is impotent to transform our minds, our hearts, our lives. Doing more, being more, trying to make ourselves morally righteous, it, we'll just find it does not work. The list doesn't have the power the person of Christ has. The, the list doesn't have the power the Holy Spirit has to transform us by freedom. Irreligious enslavement, the reality. Uh, the second uh, is irreligious, sorry, that was religious. <laughs> irreligious enslavement or bondage. Uh, happens this way. We say, me plus whatever leads to life. 
Let's see, the world's definition of freedom is simply this. Choice, options, uh, whatever I choose for me and my self-sovereign will, that will lead to life. And so as long as it doesn't hurt you, then it's uh, tolerant for me to choose this, and, and I will choose uh, this with my finances. I'll choose this with my work. I'll choose this with my sexuality. I'll choose this here or that, and whatever I choose, well, that will lead to life. Or maybe uh, we do it in, in good areas, too. If, like, uh, if I just get a family, and the family I want, and the, the wife I want, and the place I want to live, or the education or the experiences, if I just get these kinds of things, then I'll find life. Options, choice, self-sovereignty. If I get this job or that family or that education, that experience, I'll find life. Now, irreligion enslaves as well. Uh, here's how it does it. Uh, first is circumstance. Uh, circumstances may keep you from getting what you most want or desire. And so you'll find yourself uh, uh, striving to get past the circumstance, to get the right uh, kind of spouse and then the right kind of kid or the right education or the right experience. And, 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 and the circumstance might keep you from getting it. Or when you get it, you'll find yourself so entangled in trying to keep it because circumstances might take it from you in bondage. Also, uh, this enslaves us, uh, irreligious living, because... Everything else other than Jesus is an insufficient Savior. It is just not sufficient. Uh, I call this the vomit principle. Yeah, it's disgusting, but I'm going to tell it to you. It's Proverbs 26.11. Proverbs 26.11 says, uh, like, a, uh, like a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly over and over again. Now here's what's happening when it comes to irreligious bondage, when we have uh, something else as our Savior. We, we, we find this relationship that we, we know does not honor the Lord, right? And, and what, we, what we do is we find ourselves in that embrace over and over again. And, and here's, here's what vomit does as a dog comes back. He gets a little lick of the vomit, and it's watery, but it's not sufficient. I told you it's disgusting. But so that's just a bit enough of that embrace that I long for that I'll keep going back to this thing over and over again. It keeps promising me life. It gives just a little bit of it. And then I find myself spiraling in guilt or shame. But then I come back for just a bit more. Enslaved. And last, how the irreligious life enslaves when we make other things uh, saviors or we choose our own sovereign way of life. Uh, it's just simply, uh, we make terrible gods of ourselves. We make terrible saviors of ourselves. Uh, we don't have the knowledge. Uh, we don't have the uh, understanding uh, in our own uh, self-sovereignty to choose what brings life in my own life and life for those around me. And we find ourselves destroying ourselves and those around me over and over again. Irreligion enslaves, but Christian freedom. Christian freedom is very different than the world's freedom. I see the, the world's freedom, like I said, is, is all about options, being self-sovereign. If I can get this or that, the more options I have, the more free I am. And the more you let me be with my options, the more free I am. But, but Christian freedom is teleological, which is just to say uh, when you live more into your nature, more into your purpose, more into what you are made for, then you are more free. Uh, so let me put it this way, right? It's not all about options or choice and, and doing what you and I and my self-sovereignty desire, but, but it's about living into our nature. So uh, when you think of a bird and a fish, 
The fish is most free when the little fishy lives out its fish nature in the ocean. Uh, but, if, but if the fish says, I want to be a bird and finds itself all up in the sky or on the land, it's dead, no longer free. And the same with a bird. A bird says, I, I choose uh, to be down under the water. We say, no, no, a bird, when he lives out its bird nature, a fish, when he lives out its fish nature, man, they're most free, most full of joy. Uh, you, can, you can hammer in a nail with a screwdriver, but that's not what it's made for. That's not when it's feeling its most joy. A Stradivarius violin, right? One of the most, over $100,000, this violin. Uh, you can use that as a hammer too, but actually what you find is uh, when you constrain yourself more into the violin's nature, its purpose, its goals, the more free and joyful you find yourself. Us, made for relationship with living God. Freely gifted to us in Christ. Living into that relationship more and more because Jesus has said, come on in as my son or daughter by grace. You're forgiven. You're received. And then, and then uh, the rest of our lives we say, take all of me. Living this out in faith, hope, and love. Over and over again. Living into Christian freedom. Paul says, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. By faith, we realize and the hope of righteousness is ours. Now, Christian hope isn't like the world's hope. Christian, when you read hope in the scriptures, it means certainty. That's what it means. It's kind of confusing, but, but it means certainty, knowing what is true and what will come. That's why we can wait eagerly. And by faith, we receive the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness we know we have now and will have forever when he makes us just like him. That's hope. That's Christian hope, a certainty. And then it plays itself out in love when we realize, gosh, we've been so loved by God. We want to love Him and love others. We are free. We are free. We are free. You might find yourself in life, and we'll head into communion here. Say, man, but I keep, you know, let's just take that anger example with my kids, right? I keep finding myself just handcuffed, enslaved, right? To, I, doing what I don't want to do, right? I, I find myself angry. And, and this is where the whys matter so much, right? In anger, a sin, a presenting sin, we say, gosh, why am I doing this? And we have to go a bit deeper, go a bit deeper, go a bit deeper into what's enslaving us here. See, it might be that you need absolute control over your family. If I could just control these kids and get them to turn out the way I want them to or get control of this family in a way that I know I have some control in this chaotic world. Or it might be, it might be you need validation. You ask why. Why do I get so angry? And you keep going deeper with the why and then you realize because I want to have amazing looking kids so that I can say I'm an amazing dad. You need validation, right? Or maybe, maybe uh, this was mine. Uh, you feel entitled to their immediate absolute obedience right then right when i say it <laughs> and then you realize oh my gosh man I, I i need this entitled i'm entitled to this uh, right off the bat in a way that i just get so angry in the moment then what we do is we take our control or our validation or our entitlement we take it to the cross and we look at our savior we say to our savior 
Man, I am seeking validation by amazing kids. And then we're reminded of our sinfulness and the bad news of the gospel where he says, oh man, yeah, you're actually doing that all over your life. (laughs) You're trying to prove who you are in every area. And the bad news is you're not worthy. Oh my gosh. And we don't stop there. Then we hear the good news of the gospel, which says, but, but you've been freely welcomed in as a son, a daughter of Christ. You are worthy. Not because of who you are, how great you are, what you did, but because of who he is, how great he is, what he did. And then what happens is what? The cross keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then we start saying, wow, man, I was sinning because I was seeking this pseudo-savior. Now I found my salvation again by faith in Christ. I know who I am because of who he is and what he did. And now I obey out of my love and my obedience to him. See, we all lie for different reasons. We all gossip for different reasons. We're all enslaved to our sin in different reasons. We need to go deep into why, take that to the cross, see the cross get bigger and bigger, and then respond in obedience and joy saying, oh my God, you're amazing. We're free. As you go into communion now, I want just the words of scriptures to saturate our minds, our hearts, our souls a bit. As we reflect on who we are because of who he is and all he did. Take the cup, take the bread in your hands and just think on these for a moment. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to be adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He's flourished on us in Christ. Did you know that you have a father this morning because of the work of the son? The spirit sealed you. He's made you a child. He will return one day. And even the groanings of our own sinfulness that we experience now and the bits of slavery we still experience, he'll make that right too. It's a sure promise, a sure hope. Take some time to reflect on who you are as God's son by the free gift of who you are as God's daughter by the free gift that will radically transform your life and then take and eat and rejoice over all he is who he is and what he's done take and eat when you're ready